1: hi from feminism to fangirling the jersey ghouls cover all the bases of horror from a woman's perspective new episodes are uploaded every other sunday just search jersey ghouls to find us on social media and your favorite podcasting app
3: in the darkest corners of the internet a nameless formless entity has been growing no one dares question where it was created or what it wants, but those who have been entranced by its musings chant its blood curdling name in unison. Horror, Horror Movie Night. Night! Find Horror Movie Night on your favorite podcasting app or at HMNPodcast.com.
4: Hi everybody, welcome to YAOK. I am Eric J. Brown and I am here with my beautiful co-host. Oh,
2: thank you so much. This is Alyssa Lube. Thank you for being here today. Welcome to YAOK. I'm so excited. This is our first episode. How how would we know you, Eric? How would people know you? Infamous Eric Brown.
4: I am the author of All That's Left in the World and Lose You to Find Me and the sequel to All That's Left in the World, which is coming out uh, in May, called The Only Light Left Burning. If you did not know, Lose You to Find Me is a USA Today bestseller. So I think that's pretty great. It is. Um, and also, I just want to say, I know that we shouldn't take too long with our intros, but USA Today is pretty impressive just because New York Times bestseller is like it's a little more curated mm. with USA Today, it is every single book, all age categories, adult, children's, picture book, hardcover, paperback, all of that is all in one list. So it's wow. impressive. So I am an impressive individual, <laughs> and that is why I am now. A co-host of a gorgeous podcast yes like yaok yes Alyssa, how about you
2: um you might know me from netflix's the circle where i held a vulva pillow in public um <laughs> <laughs> my dad loved it um <laughs> his exact words when he saw that intro were nice <laughs> <laughs> um i also now have all of my social media stuff um under Alyssa lube and i talk about sex education and other just fun everyday things. I have a podcast called Alyssa Explains It All. You can actually listen to Eric on the pod, talk more yeah. about his books.
4: It's the beginning of our beautiful relationship.
2: I know. And now we're back. We're back. We're better yeah. than ever because we're together to talk about reading. Yes. Which I'm excited about. This is especially exciting for me because I don't have that many friends in real life that read as much as I do. And like, I don't I don't read any like crazy amount. Although I have read three books this year already. And it's only January 17th that we're recording this. I'm very impressed (sighs) with myself.
4: I'm a slow reader. I've read one.
2: But still one is still like if you read, that means you would read one book in like two and a half, weeks, which is still pretty. Well,
4: I I did start it back in December.
2: Okay, so maybe you are (laughs) slow. But
4: the holidays got in the way. The
2: holidays are hard. The holidays are hard. But this episode is coming out for Valentine's Day. And I'm so excited for that because like the best part of like when it's wintry and cold and yuck is that you can stay inside and Valentine's Day is still yuck season.
4: Mm-hmm. And we have Brian D. Kennedy, who is the award-winning author of adorable YA rom A Little Bit Country, and his new book, My Fair Brady, which just came out. So I think they're both little nice, warm, cozy books to cuddle up with yeah. on a snowy February day. Yes. And whether you have a loved one to spend the day with or not.
2: If your if loved you just, one really loves you, they'll leave you alone so you can read. Yeah, That's what drink I drink some
4: wine and yeah. just read a book unless you're a teen who is reading this don't <laughs> drink wine well
2: i don't i don't know what these kids days are like i don't know
4: <laughs> and then here is where we put the uh legal thing that says that children should not be drinking wine
2: you know yes and also in europe it's like fine
4: yeah, they do. This is
2: the craziest intro to a podcast ever. I feel like it's me. gone off the rails. It's really gone off the rails. It's the really gone off the rails. We <laughs> stayed like very on topic for the actual episode and for interviewing Brian for the most part.
4: Yeah, this is this is this is how first episode should be though. Just
2: I think so chaos.
4: Yeah, I yeah. think
2: that Eric, um, from a lot of the ways that you describe your work process, you bring a little je ne sais quoi, a little chaos to everything. You know, like a little sprinkle, sprinkle of chaos.
4: Chaos Uh, is my brand.
2: Yeah. And I feel like you bring that out in me too in the best way possible.
4: Good. That (laughs) just means that this podcast is going to be even better.
2: That's what I'm saying. Woo! Okay. Well, enjoy the interview (laughs) with Brian. Psychotic. That was psychotic.
3: You are my universe. You are my universe. And
2: I'm just a planet. I just did wallpaper in my room. And I feel like that's that, like, changed the whole vibe of my entire bedroom. Not this one, obviously.
0: Yeah, we were lazy. We just did one wall. It's just a very, it's an excellent wall.
2: I did one wall also because it was me and my mom putting it up. And I don't think that we would have survived more than one. Like, it would have just been terrible.
4: Wallpaper's a pain. I wouldn't even put up wallpaper by myself. The
2: one that I got was peel and stick. You know, it was supposed to be like easier, I guess. And then in my head, I was like, oh, okay, like that should be easier because it's one like big sticker basically. And then I realized like that actually is horrible. One big sticker is horrible.
4: Hi, Brian. Hi. Thanks for joining us on the this podcast. This Our exciting. first guest too. Uh, it's so I'm so honored to be the first.
2: I'm so happy you're here. I also, I went on your website. You have like one of the... Best websites, like best designed websites I've ever seen. Like it's so cute. Oh, thank All you. The, yeah. I just realized the like what I was doing on the table was definitely loud. Apologies. The Dolly Parton <laughs> little drawing, the little like um, what are they, like paper doll? It just looks so great.
0: Yeah. The uh, the designer, I'll give them a shout out. Is Danica Corral? She did a great job.
4: My website, comparatively, is just terrible. Just to like, it's a bunch of stuff on Canva that I just put <laughs> together. I'm like hoping it just looks fine
2: canva is my lifeblood i feel like i make my entire everything on canva and it, both of your websites are infinitely better than mine that doesn't exist So <laughs> <laughs> Alyssa
4: has hosted podcasts before i have never hosted one yes so this is new i've always yeah. just been a guest so.
2: well and this will be a good first one for you to host because you two are friends like you know, and I, I, I have only had one converse, real conversation with Eric. And- I wouldn't
4: call us friends. I think, Brian, we're frenemies. Right? <laughs> frenemies. We yeah. hate each other. Yeah.
2: <laughs> have I walked into drama? <laughs>
4: that would be fun. If I just, what if everybody we brought on the podcast, I just had beef with, like, We every could start single person. beef. Yeah. I think that that
2: could be a fun flair to the whole thing. We're going to talk about books and then we're going to start drama at the end of it. <laughs>
4: yeah, exactly.
2: Uh, so how do you guys know each other?
4: We actually have the same editor. Um, oh. we, have, we met because we were in uh, our debut group. Both of our debut novels came out in 2022. Mm-hmm. And then I found out that Brian was with the same, not just the same imprint and same publisher as me, but the same editor as well. What's an I'm not sure if I reached out to you or if it was the other
0: way. I I remember reaching out to you because then I, I remember I spelled your name with Eric with a C and then I was like, oh, oh man. That's why
4: I'm I not hate starting you.
2: <laughs> the beef just came so naturally.
4: <laughs> and imprints are, so there's like our publisher is HarperCollins and then yeah. within HarperCollins there's imprints. So like,
2: I'm trying to
4: think. So it's kind of like Universal Studios is the studio and then Bloomhouse would be like Got the producer. It. That would be, okay. it's kind of like that. So Balzer and Bray is our imprint. We deal with the editors at Balzer and Bray. And then basically they have full autonomy to do, like to help us create the book that we want to create. And then whoever's like head of Collins is just like, okay, well, we trust you to buy that book. Sure. We'll distribute
2: it for you. Right. Right. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I'm learning so much about the bookmaking industry. Yeah.
4: I mean, that's what we're all gonna be here for, I feel. I like.
2: know, it's really exciting. So you have two books, Brian, A Little Bit Country and My Fair Brady. My Fair Brady, what a great title.
4: It'll be out by the time this airs, because I think this is yeah! gonna be, this is our Valentine's Day episode, which is appropriate oh. for a rom-com. Yeah.
2: Yes, it is. Totally. Do you wanna talk about what the, what the book is about?
4: Yeah, tell us about uh, My Fair Brady first. Yeah,
0: so My Fair Brady is sort of my modern day, very gay take on My Fair Lady, which I also realized when I was pitching it is also, she's all that. My Fair Lady is
4: already gay?
0: Well, true. It's a musical. You know, it's, it's a musical. Musical, musical theater, so not too plain to stereotypes, but yeah, it's it's pretty gay. But, um, but yeah, it's basically, she's all that, which I didn't realize... She's All That is basically was an updated version of My Fair Lady in a a sense. So yeah, those are the two titles I usually uh, compare it to. But it's about a very popular actor who, uh, you know, it's his senior year. He thinks he's going to get the starring role and he doesn't. It goes to his ex-boyfriend who dumped him for being too self-involved. And then there's a very shy stagehand who joins the show as a sophomore, just wanting to make friends because uh, he's very shy, and then sort of like in My Fair Lady, they sort of come to agreement if the popular actor, Wade, can help this shy stagehand, Elijah, become popular, mm-hmm. Wade can look like a good bi- guy to his ex-boyfriend, and Elijah can uh, finally make some friends, and of course, along the way, it's a rom-com, so I'll, I'll let you deduce what uh, what happens between them.
2: Ooh! I love it. That sounds great.
4: It's I like, I love the fact that it's just like, unabashedly like theater nerd yeah because yeah I mean were you a theater person I feel like I
0: was never, I right?
4: was a theater person
0: in uh, high school and college very yeah. very much a theater nerd
2: high school and college you were committed
0: I was I was a theater major in college yeah
2: oh so you were like you were very you were the most yeah. committed hardcore <laughs> Wow
4: are there any real life stories from your time as a theater nerd that kind of um, made it into this book?
0: I don't think so I had to relearn a lot of like what actually goes into a show especially on the technical end which because I I'm a horrible actor I'm not very good at acting so I so I was more into like playwriting and directing but I did some acting and I did you know technical stuff too but I really had to like relearn like what the lights were called and mm-hmm. just everything that goes into a show I don't think I stole anything specific well what actually there is one thing so and this is just like a very tiny subplot but um in the theater, in my book, kids go up uh, into the catwalks and spray paint their names onto the wall before they graduate. And that's something we did at my high school, but we had to like, we had to like break in at night and uh, like climb like two stories up. It was, you know, we could have like fallen and you know, the school would have had a major lawsuit. But yeah, that was a real life thing that did make it into the book.
2: That's very cool. We definitely were not cool enough to do that in my theater program.
4: Yeah, us either. I don't, I don't even think Our, like, after party was at my friend Brandon's house, and it was, like, I don't even know what, it was, it was, like, a very, one of those, like, tame parties, too. Like, his parents were home. Oh, yeah. There was only soda. Yeah. So, it wasn't, like, this big after party kind of thing that would be in, like, a novel or movie. It was just, like all of us sitting in Brandon's living room pretty
2: much. See, mine, like, every now and then would get really unhinged, but I don't think anyone was drinking. I think it was just, like, they were all really horny, which feels, like, <laughs> very theater kid coded. Like, what? Yeah. it's like the band kids and the theater kids. It's like, why are they all so horny? I don't know, but they are. <laughs> and it just felt like everyone was, like, making out at the end of it aside from me. And I was like, I'm just going to call my mom. Um, <laughs> I don't know what's going on anymore. We just, like, finished. We, we wrapped late miz and of course we all have like stipple all over our faces to try and look dirty because i don't know why we were obsessed with that in high school so it's just like stipple smudged on everyone's faces like this is mortifying yeah i
0: I love you have like uh at the cast parties like the kids who had to play older characters still had like the grace spray paint (laughs) in their hair
2: Exactly, exactly. Oh, those are good memories. I love all Lay Miz seems
4: like like an intense play for a it, high school production. Yeah, like,
0: I don't think we were ever that ambitious at my school.
2: You know, it was we actually I think that year it was my freshman year and the seniors that year were really good. And so that's why they chose to do Lay Miz, because they're and like a bunch of them went on to be like classically trained in opera and like all this other stuff. So like that particular mm. year we had really great I know, it was very bougie. Um <laughs> And we had we had really great seniors that year. And so I think that's why they were a little ambitious. But it also is the kind of show where like a whole bunch of the freshman ensemble are like prostitute one, prostitute two, prostitute three. And I'm like, this is how am I supposed to tell my mom I got a part and it's prostitute three? Like it's
0: uh, horrible. That, that reminds me my my best role. I mean, like I said, I was not a great actor, so I was usually just in the ensemble. Uh, but when we did the Sound of Music, the way the male ensemble appeared in the program was mm-hmm. uh, party
4: guest slash Nazi.
2: Oh no! <laughs> oh god! That's I do feel rough. like
4: being stuck playing a Nazi in the Sound of Music. It's pretty. I feel <laughs> yeah, like that's I mean, pretty rough now. It's like, uh yeah. Maybe I, didn't, I shouldn't. I didn't have any this.
0: lines. I just remember the big, the big scene for the Nazis was. Uh, we got to run through the auditorium with flashlights, just Abla being like, where are the Von Traps? Have you seen the Von Traps? They've escaped.
2: <laughs> oh my goodness. What play are they doing in My Fair Brady? Did you say, I don't know if I missed it uh, No, but. I
0: didn't say so. Uh, they're doing My Fair Lady. So it's very meta. Oh, okay. Um, Great. Yeah. So they're sort of like the the popular actors, you know, familiar with the play, the, the stagehand isn't really a theater kid. So he's not familiar with it. So when he sort of, uh, Brings up this agreement, the actor's like, "Wait, you basically want to do what the show is about? Like, you want me to be the Henry Higgins yeah. to your Eliza Doolittle?" And the kid's like, "Yeah, sure."
2: That's so cute. I, I love forget. That.
4: Does Wade even? Uh, Wade is the main character's name. Who's the actor? And then yep. Elijah is the uh, tech kid. Does Wade even point out the comparison between Eliza and Elijah? I always forget he, if that. happens. He
0: never or. does. He, uh, yeah, that's the one thing that never gets uh, mentioned. <laughs> that it's it's like.
4: I think that's Obviously appropriate
0: because it's like
4: very close yeah. to it. It's like, yeah, you have to do that though.
2: I love that. I feel like that's one of those books where someone in in a high school somewhere is going to get assigned. Is going to get that as like assigned reading because they're doing My Fair Lady that year and they want to teach the story in a way that like that is relatable and that's going to be their assigned reading and everyone's going to be thrilled about it. This is a dream that I'm having in my career. I, <laughs> I
4: hope that does happen. One. Yeah, I, know, I love I think that. that
2: the- that would be really fun um uh, so what is the process of like i mean this is really kind of a question for both of you guys what is the process of writing a book like that like do you do like what like i think of the way that i write an essay and if i'm writing an essay i'm doing like an outline first and then i'm filling it in as i go but i don't really know that that's realistic for writing
4: go ahead brian because i have a follow-up question <laughs> for <this>. yeah, I, <laughs>
0: i'm sure you know it differs for every person for me um, I definitely need like an outline. I need, you know, some parameters to sort of know where the story is going. Uh, I tend to be very detailed. So even like this book, like I knew I wanted to do a theater book. That sort of was just like the idea I had to start with because I know a lot about theater and I thought I would enjoy it. But then like before I could even think about what the story was, I had to decide what show they were going to do and I wanted whatever show they did to somehow tie into the plot of the story. So it wasn't until I finally landed on My Fair Lady that I was like, okay, now I know where this this book is going because I know what the main plot's going to be. And then, yeah, I usually write like a really detailed outline that could be, you know, seven to 10 pages, single spaced. Uh, And then, you know, at this point, I wrote this book on contract. So I already had my editor so, you know, she had some input uh, to to my outline and where we wanted the story to go. But even then, once you sit down to like start writing it, mm-hmm. a lot of things change. Like from the very first draft to the fin- to the final product, there were like, you know, chapters thrown out, new chapters written. So it, it's very malleable along the way. Um, but again, I usually know like where I want to start and where I want to end. And then how I get there is usually a very long,
4: frustrating process. <laughs> but it works yeah. out in the yeah. end. yeah. I'm completely the opposite. I don't I know lying. you are. I, yeah, I'm, I'm the nightmare. And I think even Chaos. my editor is a nightmare <laughs> as well. Um, so my, my first book, all that's left in the world is getting a sequel. It's coming out in May of this year. Oh, no um, I, I rewrote that book twice from scratch, pretty much. And I submit they asked for an outline first, and I submitted an outline, they made me rewrite it four times. And then after I wrote the first draft, it had like, it changed, like one thing changed, and it kind of spiraled out of control. And the entire last three fourths of the book was completely different from the outline I turned in. And they were like, "Yeah, you you need to rework this a little bit." So for me, writing is just chaotic. Even now, I <laughs> tried to I'm trying to get them to approve my fourth book, and uh, I had to write out an outline just to explain it to them. And this one's a thriller, so I was like, I have to outline it. Um, And I gave them a chapter by chapter breakdown. I think it was like 12 pages long. And even that now still is not going to be what I write because we had a call earlier today and talked some things about out and it's completely changed already. So I think from beginning to end for me, it's just a struggle and it's chaos. So I prefer Brian's way was, of doing it, yeah, but Brian, you're, it just your doesn't way work seems- for me. <laughs>
2: Brian, your method sounds so peaceful in comparison. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, but I also think, I mean, just from knowing Eric as a friend, I think our writing styles, I, I mean, I, maybe the end product is somewhat similar. I don't, you know, we obviously have our own voices. Um, but I think there's some, some similarities in our style. But yeah, how we get there is always different. And I think the downside to mine to being like so planned and so plotted out is that I have a very hard time deviating from that. And mm-hmm. like, to my own detriment, I'm a perfectionist. So like, I will take, it will take me like a week to write a chapter, if not longer. And I feel, and correct me if I'm wrong, Eric, but I feel like you can bang out a chapter in like a day if you need to. Oh, I can bang out like three or four chapters. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so Eric's very like free and like wow. doesn't get caught up in, in that, you know, in that kind of thing. And I do. So there's, there's good and bad to both ways of doing it, you know?
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I think right. my
4: record for writing is, I think I wrote 12,000 words in one day once. I which... am hanging up now.
2: <laughs> that's wild. It's, for me,
4: that's probably about six chapters. And that, that, I will say, that was me in like a hyper-focused state where I forgot to eat lunch and I right. just knew where everything was going. And it was like one of those moments where it was like weeks of maybe like 200 words a day, trying, like struggling mm-hmm. to get to like this one point, just like logically. And then once I got to that point, I was like, okay, now I have all of this set up and I can go off and do this. And I know it's where everything is going. I feel like that only happens every once in a while, and when it does, I'm like, yes, and I can't leave my computer because I'm worried it'll like break the magic.
2: That's like what reading is like, though, because sometimes like it, I'm struggling for like a couple of whatever, I don't know, twenty pages, and I'm like, oh my god, I just like I love this book, and I like I'm reading um the uh Court of Thorns and Roses series, and the. Second and third of those books are like six, 700 page long books. And that's like, they're
4: all pretty dense.
2: That's, that's, yeah, that's very long. And so I'm, as I'm getting through them, I love them. But there are parts where I'm like, how long does she need to be in this forest for it to be a plot line? I don't know why we need to do this for a hundred pages. But then we get to that one part and like, we're off to the races and I'm like, (laughs) and I'm up till one am because I need to finish it. So I imagine that's a similar vibe.
4: Yeah. I mean, that's kind of how you can tell when... I think for me, there's always scenes that, are, that exist in your head and you're kind of writing towards. And mm-hmm. I think those are the scenes that always just work perfectly. Were there any for you, Brian, in either A Little Bit Country or My Fair Brady? Because I actually do want to touch on A Little Bit Country too.
0: Yeah, there's usually scenes that I'm looking forward to writing because I have been thinking about them for a while and they sort of seem like pivotal scenes. So like in My Fair Brady, uh, at one point earlier in the book, because Elijah is unfamiliar with the show, Wade invites him over to watch the movie. And that was a scene that I just knew, like, you know, so many things that could happen in there. And also for me, uh, so I, you know, like I said, my I have a theater background. So uh, in playwriting is all dialogue based. So for me, like writing dialogue is super easy. Anytime I have to do description, like mm. describe where they are, talk about the house or the room, like, oh God, that, you know, it can take me like all day to write two, two paragraphs about the house. But once we get into dialogue, it comes out a lot a lot faster.
4: Yeah. I like the um and for me it's always action scenes. I feel like for you it's the romance scenes cuz that scene was really adorable yeah. when they're sitting there watching on their la- on Wade's laptop. Um but for me it's always the action scenes too and I always get compliments on those scenes too. And I'm like, "Okay, so you felt like that immediacy and that energy that I was working towards." I feel like that like makes that a good
2: payoff so that feels like the way that the way that you would be writing it and it's like kind of flowing for you too is the way that the reader ends up reading it too like i would imagine that it's a similar like a similar experience in the way that it's being created and the way it's being received which is really interesting actually i guess kind of makes sense we can feel the 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 emotion through the page and it's beautiful and that's why we love reading
4: and thank, so, thank you
2: for coming to my TED talk about why we <laughs> like <TV>. a <laughs> dream.
4: Brian, I want you to kind of tell us about a little bit country too, for anybody that might be listening that doesn't know about your debut novel. Sure, your award-winning so, debut novel.
0: Award-winning. Uh, yeah, a little bit country. So you know, if if My Fair Brady is all about how much I love theater, a little bit country is how much I love country music. It's very Dolly Parton coded, Dollywood coded. <laughs> Uh, it's about it.
4: by coded. You mean any day now, you could get a cease and desist cease from people. Right? <laughs> yeah.
0: Pretty much, pretty much. I always say like. <laughs> so the character, the Dolly character, is named Wanda Jean, and they're like, "Is it modeled after Dolly Parton?" I'm like, "Yes." If Dolly Parton had orange hair, so I can't get sued. Yeah,
2: <laughs> um, love it. Uh,
0: but the story is about a uh, gay uh, kid from the Midwest who wants to be like the biggest gayest country superstar. And he gets a job working at an amusement park uh, of his idol in Tennessee for the summer. And there he meets Luke, a local boy who is uh, not out yet. And he hates country music because he thinks his grandmother was uh, a country singer and he thinks it Mm -hmm. ruined his family uh, and his grandma's life. Uh, So, of course, they meet at the theme park where they both end up working. And again, being a rom-com, I'll let you sort of guess where things end up for them.
2: So cute!
0: I love adorable. it.
1: That's a great concept.
0: Meanwhile, in New Jersey.
1: So, Marissa, what talking points do you want to hit on in this week's episode? Well, Jackie, let's talk about how the film addresses the patriarchy. Ooh, and representation of marginalized people. Ooh, ooh, and even philosophical ramifications of good versus evil in horror. We can point out the triangle boobs, talk about the blood splatter, and, ugh, oh, the practical effects. <sighs> um and also the male gaze
2: my gaze at the males
1: hi from feminism to fangirling the jersey ghouls cover all the bases of horror from a woman's perspective new episodes are uploaded every other sunday just search jersey ghouls to find us on social media and your favorite podcasting app
3: in the darkest corners of the internet a nameless formless entity has been growing no one dares question where it was created or what it wants, but those who have been entranced by its musings chant its blood curdling name in unison. Horror, Horror Movie, Night. Movie Night! Find Horror Movie Night on your favorite podcasting app or at HMNPodcast.com.
0: Do you like to laugh, geek out on music, and learn all about that band or artist who had that one song back in the day but then seemed to fall off the face of the earth? If so, you need to subscribe to One Hit Thunder. Together with an array of interesting and hilarious guests, we do a weekly dive into One Hit Wonders like Eiffel 65's Blue, Crayshon's Gucci Gucci, EMF's Unbelievable, Delamitri's Roll To Me, Los Del Rio's Macarena, Musical Youth's Past to Dutchie, and even Patrick Swayze's She's Like the Wind. So are you subscribed to One Hit Thunder or what? As Desiree would say, You gotta be, and as K7 would encourage, you gotta come, baby, come and join in on the fun of the One Hit Thunder podcast.
4: So, I want to know if there's anything that you learned about your own writing process between A Little Bit Country and My Fair Brady, for better or worse, because I feel like it could go either way.
0: Yeah, oh, that's a good question. I mean. I will say writing My Fair Brady was so much harder, or at least it seemed that way. I'd maybe, I don't know, maybe it's just my, was my perception because uh, this was my first time writing on deadline. So a little bit country, you know, I I could just sort of write at my own pace and I didn't have a, a goal of when it would be done or what that would look like. And then with My Fair Brady, uh, I was under contract. And luckily, you know, our editor at our, and, and our imprint, I think they're pretty lenient. They They weren't ever rushing me to like, have it done by a certain date. So, so that was great. But yeah, I mean, writing a little bit country, you kind of go into it blind a little bit. You know, I'd taken writing workshops and classes and I had an agent and I worked on editorial notes with her. Um, but once you actually publish a book, you just learn so much about the writing process that, you know, that you didn't know when you wrote that first manuscript or that first book. So so I feel like this time I, I was writing a little more cr- with a more critical eye which probably be, didn't help me at times because it really let me get in my own way and again being a perfectionist um but writing it i could be like oh our editor so her name is kristen be like kristen's going to be asking me this at this point she's going to mm. w- want to know what they sound like she's going to want to know what this is what that is the pace here so yeah you kind of for me at least i just was trying to incorporate all this new information that i learned from my first book and I think it slowed me down on, on getting that first draft out because I, I have a hard time writing, like, you're supposed to just write the worst, you know, the shittiest first draft you can, right. uh, which is is always hard for me, so.
2: Yeah, that makes sense. It kind of, like, once you know all of the, the, like, devil in the details, writing, that would, I feel like I would be like that, too, where it would drive me nuts and I'd be like, oh, my God, I just yeah. know how this is going to go and I don't want to. <laughs> Yeah. That would, that would stress me out. I also am loving how you have to hold the headphones because it's giving like pop star vibes.
0: <laughs> I know. <laughs> I mean, no one can see me, but yeah, my, my earphones keep popping out, so I just have my ears up to the now. I'm like,
4: secret service.
2: Yeah, exactly.
4: Oh I will God. say, um, I had that same thing where after doing so many drafts uh, with your editor, you kind of anticipate what they're going to ask when you are drafting. I think Like, at some points, I do think it actually helps me a lot because I can remember, like, what her most common request would be. So, like, for my books, it's always like, oh, well, what is this character feeling right now? Can we get, like, more into the internal stuff? Because I'm focusing a lot more on how they look or how they sound or their environment. Mm
0: -hmm. And
4: she's like, okay, now go kind of internally. So I've kind of figured out how to anticipate that and put it in so I'm not getting it much anymore which is you. now it's just gone on to other things which paralyzed me with fear and i don't know how to fix (laughs) exciting
2: stuff i'm thinking about like i got like lost in thought for a second thinking about when you're writing and considering how someone is feeling or like an action that they're taking and what that what what the reason is that they're doing that i feel like that would send me for like a psychological loop i would just start over analyzing everything that i'm doing and the reason that i'm doing it and it would end up being like I feel like i would end up creating a journal out of a character I'm, de- I'm developing because i would be like yeah and he just pushed the table over and you know maybe that actually if i'm thinking about why they would have done that maybe it's some unresolved stuff or maybe some defensiveness that they would have experienced with their father but i'm not sure about it. like i would just it would spiral me a little bit do you feel like your personal experiences like in that way like do you have almost like moments of Oh, I think I'm actually, this is a little more autobiographical than I was anticipating it being.
0: Yeah, I don't, I don't think I have anything too autobiographical in my novels. But, you know, in every character I create, there's going to be like a little bit of me, yeah. whether it's conscious or subconscious. Um, but it has been interesting because sometimes you'll, or even you'll think like, well, okay, I know this character isn't the same as me, but like, what would I do in this situation? And sometimes mm-hmm. that can sort of guide you. And sometimes like if I'm writing a chapter or even an outline and then I get feedback from my agent or editor where they're like, Oh, this is bad for that character to do this. I'm like, Oh, okay. Just kidding. <laughs> that that's not something me. I would have done. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
2: That would wreck me. Like exact that's exactly the situation that I'm thinking of. Was like, what would I would do if I were in that situation? And that would give me like that's too much. I yeah, don't know. Like,
0: oh, this isn't this kind of creepy? I'm like, Oh yeah, I guess it is. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, you're right. Yeah, I thought that when I was writing it. Who, who would I just, do um, such a thing? Clearly yeah, not that's... me.
4: <laughs> then you go to your therapist. You're like, "Yo, so yeah. here's what's going on."
2: That's that's a text. That's a text you send them before you even have your session that week. You're like, "I we gotta we gotta circle circle back on this." Has that yeah, happened I was to you, say, Eric?
4: I pull everything from my life and I put it into <laughs> books. I'm like, I'm worried that like if I write too quickly and too much, that I'm gonna end up using everything (laughs) and it'll just be like well have i already said this i've already had to like go through past uh, manuscripts and just look up certain words to make sure i'm not repeating myself
2: that's so and like
4: especially if it's okay if it's like a sequel and i'm repeating things and it's the same character but it's if it's a completely different story and i am telling the same story that i pulled from my life Mm -hmm. and just kind of like changing a couple things I just don't want all of a sudden, if somebody happens to read two of the, those two books back to back and somehow have a perfect memory of them, like I, anytime I read a book, I forget pretty much the entire book as yeah. soon as I'm done reading same, it.
2: Same. Same. <laughs> but
4: then there's people who are, who ask me questions sometimes about my book, my own books, my own books that I've read like nine, 10 more times than mm. I can count. And they're like, oh, well, this person says this, what do they mean by that? And I was just like,
2: I don't remember
4: that even happening. So I'm always nervous I'm gonna put repeat myself.
2: That's when you have to flip the script do, and do one of these. What do you think that they could mean by that? I would love to hear your interpretation. <laughs> Just gaslight them.
4: Matt, Matt, cut this later. That's my new secret.
0: <laughs> Eric, I wanna know, have you ever repeated a character name unknowingly? Like used a character, a same character name in two different books?
4: Yes. Uh, I did in I believe I put a character in The Only Light Left Burning who had the same character as somebody from Lose You Define Me and I didn't realize it. No. And then there's also um, a character in All That's Left in the World that was just a random like character that's only mentioned by name. And then I used his name is, is the uh, main character of Lose You Define Me and I didn't realize it until last night actually. Because I was like thinking about something, and wow. I was like, "Oh wait, I did use." I mean, it's an it's an obvious like it's a very common name. It's Tommy, so it's like right doesn't really matter. Movie. But I was just thinking about it randomly last night, and I was like, "Oh, I totally forgot." that There's a character named Tommy, and all that's left in the world that's dead. And then there's a main <laughs> character from Lose You to Find Me. Thankfully, they're different worlds, so. <laughs> They don't have to worry about that's
2: that. That's fine. And there's more than one Tommy in every world, I yeah,
4: feel. exactly. I'm just gonna, okay. I should just put a Tommy in every single one of my books.
2: <laughs> I And then love at the that. same
4: time, I didn't, I like, it it, it, did, it wasn't that I didn't remember, but I didn't think about the fact that I have an uncle named Tommy too.
2: So you killed him in the first one and then you made him a <laughs>
4: right? star I'm like,
2: in the second.
4: <laughs> he like, when he found out, he's like, oh, the main character's named Tommy. I was just like, oh,
2: yeah.
4: It would appear right. that way. and technically my cousin because my cousin's named after him as well so
2: wow Brian have yeah. you done that have you repeated any character names
0: <clears throat> Not yet that I know of but now that I'm like drafting what I hope is going to be my third book I'm very worried about that because the more I, more books I write the the more I forget the earlier ones. So I feel mm-hmm. like when I was promoting a little bit country, I had a pretty firm grasp on like everything that happened, everyone that is in there. But now that I'm on my second book, that first book is like out of my brain.
4: So who knows what will happen? I'm going to put a Wanda Jean in my fourth book. Wanda
2: Jean! <laughs> Bring back Wanda Jean. And I would love if, if your cinematic universes like converged somehow that like Eric, at some point in a book, you have a character who has a poster of Wanda Jean somewhere in their room, their yeah, favorite sure. country artist. I would love
0: that. Yeah, well, I was—I was, I was I can't remember if I ever told Eric this, but I thought a great idea. I mean, not really. I wouldn't enforce, enforce, impose this on you, but uh, in in your uh, all the light left burning, if you needed like an abandoned amusement park for them to go through Wanda
2: World. yeah,
4: they do go through an abandoned amusement park, and I did not do that because I didn't want to kill Wanda Jean. Thank you. Um, that's nice. Because <laughs> I, I, it, it was, and I also, it was in, I didn't know how to like get them over to Tennessee because it's they're in uh, South Carolina, right. which is close. Yeah. But the theme park is in uh, South Carolina. And then I just, I was concerned about like it taking out the fact that Dolly doesn't exist in this world too, because there's already right. Dolly Park oh, references I mean, in the yeah, first yeah. one. And in the second one too, so. I had already thought oh, about that, shoot. and I was like, there's too many converging <laughs> things happening for it to work properly. So I'm how, saving that for the next one.
2: How do you have so many Dolly Parton references?
4: Because uh, we're gay. <laughs> are There there are Dolly Parton uh, yes. references in... um? Oh, wait, is there Dolly Parton references in My Fair Brady, or are yeah. there Wanda Jean references?
0: No, I, you know, yeah, I'm not one of those authors. Some authors really like to lay little, like, Easter eggs. That's, mm-hmm. I don't I know. I like to do that. To me, that... It's not my style. But I appreciate other authors. As a reader, I like it when other authors do it. Yeah. You
2: should yeah. start doing it. I think that's I think it's that's great. fun. That's
4: so fun. Brian, what drew you to writing YA specifically?
0: You know, I've I've told this story before, uh, so apologies to anyone who's heard it. But I was, uh, you know, I've always been a writer. And it wasn't really until, like, my, my 30s that I thought, oh, you know, I could actually write it, like publishing is something I could actually pursue seriously if I wanted to. Uh, so I signed up for some writing classes and writing workshops. And I was actually in a nonfiction essay class. I wrote an essay about like when I came out after college or something. And, it, you know, it felt to me as like very personal. We shared them in the class. And and our teacher, she was this like very downtown New York writer. She dressed like all in black, had long black hair. She always talked about how much she'd miss smoking. <laughs> And like, I knew, you know, my little like gay coming out story. I knew, you know, a lot of people be like, oh, well, this, this is a little trite and like, oh, it's, you know, we've evolved since then. But like I said, to me, you know, it felt very fresh still. And she wasn't like super mean about it, but she was like, she's like, oh, there's no blood in here. Like, where's the, where's the blood in this story? And Not like not physical, but like actual literal say, blood, yeah. <laughs> or like the, yeah, the beating heart of it. And she's like, sure. it, it, just, it just reads like like really good YA. And she said really good, but I could tell she really like did good. not mean that <laughs> in a compliment, you know, as a compliment. But at that point I hadn't really read any current YA because you know, when I was a teen, there wasn't much of a, of a YA genre or a lot of books geared towards teens. So. It prompted me to like pick up my first young adult book, and once I read it, I was like, oh, actually, like this does sort of sound like my writing voice, the way these mm-hmm. people write. And I think this actually would be a good fit for me. So uh, long story short, I decided to try writing YA thanks to that uh, teacher who actually did end up helping me, even though she was a little bit rude about it.
2: That's <laughs> you remember so what
4: the funny. YA book was that you read? Eleanor and
0: Park, which oh, okay. now upon reflection is a, a little problematic, but at the time. <laughs> That's okay.
4: I mean, what is it from even 15 years ago?
2: What is that book and why is it problematic now?
0: Is it a rom-com? I don't think it would have been classified as rom-com. It's a contemporary... Um, but it's it's written by a white woman and one of the characters is Asian and the representation oh, is, is lacking a little bit there. So. Got
2: it, got it, got it. Okay, okay. I also I feel like YA is having more of a moment now than it has in a really long time, and I think because in general people are getting more like people are getting back into reading in a way that, and it could just be that maybe I'm I've just kind of exposed myself to this whole side of like book talk and bookstagram and everyone's like so invested in reading now in a way that I just was not. I remember maybe 10 years ago, I feel like Barnes and Noble was closing like crazy. Like you, like it was getting, it was like really sad actually to watch because I used to hang out in Barnes and Noble. Like that was like in high school, I would just sit in Barnes and Noble and just like browse through books for hours. And, um, and now I feel like they're starting to come back. Like local bookstores are popping up in my very small town and I feel like people are starting to understand how much we really do need to be able to like read fun books. And YA is nice because you know that you're gonna get like a nice ending at the end of it. It's not gonna be like like a book where you're gonna be like trying to look up every single word on every single page. Like you'll actually be able to enjoy the story as you get through it. And I don't know, it's just like, so. it's such a nice way to enjoy a story without having your eyeballs on a screen. And Damn. I think people are really appreciating that now.
4: Somebody said on Twitter, I am i haven't been on Twitter for a few months, and uh, one of my friends said that there was somebody who said on Twitter that uh, this woman was, like, upset that her daughter had aged out of YA as, like, a, I think, 14-year-old or something. And I I, like, to me that was strange because, number one, you're not aged out at 14 like that's prime ya but i think what ended up she said what she meant was uh she wanted more middle grade stuff so like less romance Uh, and i was like okay that's a that's great but then i try to pitch something that does not have romance and why editors don't want to buy that because
2: mm.
4: ya has so much crossover more crossover to adult than it does for teens because anybody who is younger will read up to the the older YA and then anybody who like YA is pretty much made for if they're not seeking out this very specific story they don't usually buy that book it's always the adults and the older teens mm-hmm. and like maybe people in their 20s and 30s that are actually like okay well I'm going to read this because it's still relevant to me I still like this kind of these stories with romance and excitement and also, I want to read something that's like more fun and isn't just this like, kind of like you were saying, Elizabeth, like it's the hard literature where it's, it's either very dark, or it's overwhelming, or there's like pages upon pages upon pages of descriptions before mm. you even get to like any kind of emotional moment. And then it's pages of emotional moment and no dialogue kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I feel like there is, there is definitely a market for that. But... In order for there to be a market for that, I think that's a whole that's a whole other can of worms that we probably <laughs> get into. Honestly, so.
2: I, it's so weird to think of a fourteen year old aging out of YA because I'm thirty and I read YA.
4: <laughs> and it was just because the fourteen year old didn't want to read a romance. Yeah, like, yeah. He was looking for more like friends who are going sure. to an adventure. Which is like, yeah, I want to write that. Yeah, but there's people are less willing to buy that. It's like, I feel like there needs to be that. Um, it has to be something like a series that starts mm. as a middle grade and then eventually it can grow along with the characters yeah. or the readers.
2: Yeah, that's so interesting. I had a friend recently, actually literally last night, he decided he decided a while ago he wanted to write this children's book because he had he just like had this idea for it. He actually got it together. He had someone illustrate it, the whole thing, and he sent it yesterday, and my mom works with kindergartners. And so when we got it, he was like, Do me a favor, show it to your mom. And it was really cute. But it was like, very crowded. Like there was a lot of images and a lot of text. And there were words that like, like a kid wouldn't necessarily like depending on the age would might be challenging for a child. So we were like, what age are you trying to? Well, who is this for? Exactly. And he was like, I don't really know. And I was like, that's interesting, because I never thought, like, when, when you guys were writing, did you have an age in mind before you started?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think for, for YA, the intended audience is always teenagers, mm-hmm. uh, probably specifically high school. But I think okay. a lot of middle graders read up. And then obviously, like Eric said, there's crossovers. So a lot of adults will still read YA. I mean, I obviously read plenty of YA. Mm-hmm. But I think the intention is at least on my end and i know on my editor's end the intention is always we're writing this for teens
1: Got so it. i don't
0: want to you know and, and in my book there's like plenty of swearing there's you know underage drinking there's sex it's not that i filter it or you know can't can't push boundaries a little bit but i do want it to be appropriate for like what kids are going through mm-hmm. um you know I'm, I'm not like sexualizing my characters in a way that's inappropriate uh that you would in like an adult romance novel. So I think there are some sort of parameters that you have to uh, uh, adhere to when you're writing. I don't know, Eric, if you how you feel about that?
4: Yeah, I think there's definitely, I think before you even start writing, you should understand the audience that you're going to be writing for. Mm. So with not just age category too, like age category is a good starting place because it's like, well, I'm writing YA, so I'm writing specifically with the audience of, teens in mind. If there is crossover, great. But this is specifically for teens during in this age group. Um, But I think on top of that, you also have to like with My Fair Brady, you have to understand that people who pick this up are going to be into theater, I feel like there might be a couple people who are like, Oh, well, I now I'm not like a theater person. But this sounds really cute. I'm going to read it. But I feel like for the most part, the eye catching cover with them on a stage, is going to immediately draw anybody who likes theater and go, oh, let me pick this up. Let me look Mm -hmm. at that. And at the same time, you have to have that, those like references in there. You have to have like theater references. You have to have, even though um, Elijah is a good basis for anybody who may not have that, they're kind of, they can be an audience surrogate. But I still feel like everybody before you even start writing anything, you should know who your audience is and the audience you're writing for. And sometimes yeah. it's just you, yeah. but like specifically you as the age category you're writing. Right. Because I, I, with all that's left in the world, that's who I was writing that for. It was me because I was annoyed that there were no queer people in post-apocalyptic stories. So.
2: <laughs> you created the, the dream. You created the crossover that you always wanted. <laughs> I love it. I love
4: it. Uh, so I think we'll start wrapping up. Alyssa, do you have any other questions?
2: Um, I think the only other question that I can think of is one of the things that Eric and I talked about was some of the challenges that he had um, writing a queer romance and like like having a book be removed from a library. The drama. And how it didn't even like how the cover, I will never forget the cover having, you said like lesbian period drama tension of the (laughs) piece like barely touching. (laughs) And was that anything that came up for you at all? Or because I guess because you guys have the same um, editor and, and whatever that helps too, but
0: yeah um for me i don't think there's anything specific that has come up and i you know a lot of that i i credit to my editor and to our imprint that they never push back on anything um on the creative side which is great mm-hmm. like like i said you know there's there's uh sex in my book uh, in my book it, it takes place off the page but it, you know they still talk about it that they, they, it's two boys thinking about their emotions uh and what losing their virginity would mean so like I never got one note like, oh, is this too much? Or is this going to turn readers away? Or is this going to make, you know, your book a target for a book ban? There was never any worry about that, which is really Mm -hmm. great. Um, I think more generally speaking and not maybe specifically to my experience. So, you know, obviously books, queer books are being banned. And I also think just in publishing, they're sort of undervalued and usually not given as big as like a marketing push or publicity push uh, because you know, a perception that maybe queer books have a smaller audience mm. and, you know, it's not, uh, it's not just queer authors that go through this. Obviously POC authors, uh, have to deal with this a lot as well, probably even worse. Um, so I think sometimes publishers sort of limit themselves being like, oh, we're, you know, the, the easier books are the big straight white books, you know, let's give them all our money. And then hopefully these other books will be okay. So I think that's one challenge we face of like, Trying to get as much attention as as other authors with perceived bigger audiences.
2: Yeah. That makes sense.
4: And I think if you like don't get those notes from your editor, you know you're doing it right too. Like yeah. especially for those scenes. You're handling it appropriately. You're like everything that you've kind of put on the page is working and nobody is like raising any red flags and being like, oh well, this is this is perfectly appropriate and acceptable and it should be talked about. Because even if there is no sex in there, there, there are p- still going to be people that try to ban your books anyway. Right yeah. Now. yeah. It's like, they don't even, they don't care about any of the violence, any language. They just care about sex or yeah. the people that are in it. And that's all. Fuck them. Yeah. Brian, <laughs> you know that this question is always going to come. So. Oh. What are you reading and what are you looking forward to? What I'm reading right now.
0: Uh, so obviously I write young adult, but I read a lot of adult too. I'm reading uh, Yellow Face and Ooh. I feel like maybe I'm a little late to the party. I think it only came out last fall, but I feel like a lot of people have already read it. But I it was all just, buzz. I am loving it so much. It's very like inside publishing. I think even if you're not in publishing, you you can enjoy it. But like for me, I'm just like savoring each page and cracking up and cringing. And it's just so funny. Uh, I can't get enough of it. I read like a couple pages before bed every night. And I just am trying to like sparse it out, pace it out. And then what I'm looking forward to, obviously uh, Eric J. Brown's next book, The mm-hmm. Only Light Left Burning. I'm, as soon as I get caught up on the books I have to blurb, I am like breaking into Eric's computer uh,
4: and stealing <laughs> a copy of it if he doesn't give it to me. I mean, you could just email Kristen, our editor. <laughs> and look, oh, here you go. This, we just got this back from copy editing. My way is more fun. It'll so be completely cleared up of all of the issues that are going to be in the EARC. So
2: he's a secret agent now. So, yeah, that's right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> got it? Got it. So, let's go. I put
0: a camera in your laptop here.
2: Perfect.
4: Well, Brian, thank you for being here for our first ever episode.
2: Whoa!
4: Yeah. Thanks for went having well, me. Well, right? Yeah. Wild. I mean,
2: we killed it, we're honestly. Professionals, professionals yeah.
4: all of us. I, I we're think great. so.
2: I think we did a great job. Thank you for coming on. We appreciate it, yeah. especially as we're like this is our very first episode, and it was really fun. I liked learning about this whole process. I can't wait to to learn more.
4: Yeah, thanks for having me. And a little bit country is available in paperback wherever you buy books. My fair Brady will also be available because it's Valentine's Day, and it came out probably like two weeks ago. Yeah. So go on buy Brian's books and support queer art. Oh, thank you! <laughs> Yay!
2: Thank you. We did it. Mm-hmm.
4: I think that was a great first episode thank you to brian d kennedy for coming on and talking with us about his books you, again you can get my fair brady and a little bit country wherever you buy books and Alyssa, what are you reading right now
2: i am reading a court of wings and ruin which is the third in the sarah j mass universe i love it what are you reading
4: I am reading something called Dead Happy. Oh! It is by Josh Silver. I'm going to kind of pull my author card on this one because this has not come out in the U.S. yet. It actually hasn't come out in the U.K. yet either, but it is a sequel. It is. It is a a sequel to Josh's first book, Happy Head, uh, which is being turned into a film.
2: No way!
4: Taryn Edgerton is producing it. And it is this kind of dystopian adventure it always starts like that but like it's so much deeper than that it's hard to explain it without getting into any spoilers so look up happy head it is coming out in the u.s this year Uh, dead happy is the sequel it's coming out in the uk this year and probably next year in the u.s but it is a very exciting i am so excited to read this
2: awesome okay i love it uh so don't forget to like share and subscribe on any podcasting app that you are using and be sure to follow us on instagram at yaokpodcast and message us with a little mini review of whatever you're currently reading maybe we will read your review in a later episode Wow!
1: Hi! From feminism to fangirling, The Jersey Ghouls cover all the bases of horror from a woman's perspective. New episodes are uploaded every other Sunday. Just search Jersey Ghouls to find us on social media and your favorite podcasting app.
3: In the darkest corners of the internet, a nameless, formless entity has been growing. No one dares question where it was created or what it wants, but those who have been entranced by its musings chant its blood curdling name in unison. Horror, Horror Movie Night. Night! Find Horror Movie Night on your favorite podcasting app or at HMNPodcast.com. You're listening
0: to the Geekscape Network.